Marcus, we interviewed you in 2015, I believe. Holy crap, really? I know, it's been a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, a, a long time. It's a long time. <laughs> and it was fun, though. It, it was a great time. It was in Ventura at a theater, beautiful yes. theater. Yes. Your, your interviews have uh, many, many views, many, many comments. Really? Some of them positive, some of them not so positive. <laughs> <laughs> and I have a question I was wondering if you could address, and that is some of the people felt that you were able to get a film made or sell a script right. because you had previous connections. And can we dispel that myth or oh. talk about it? <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. I'm completely locked in because I was on a show a long time ago, so I know all the studio executives, and I know all the producers, and I know all the investors, and they just give me money all the time. So it's super easy. And you just meet them, you go to Dan Tan. Oh, they call lunch. me all the time yeah. and they're like, hey, Marcus, we're trying to make this film. Would you like $30 million? We're going to distribute it through Warner Brothers. And I'm like, yeah, great. Sounds awesome. Happens all the time. For people that don't live in LA, because LA. I'm lying. Oh, and I, yes, like, and I can tell sarcasm. True. Yeah, I get it. It's sarcasm. <laughs> but but some true. people don't realize that, like, they think that you could be a bartender where. Hollywood screenwriters or producers are and that you can just get someone's friend a script and that's not really how it works here Well, here's the thing like yeah That's possible Like it's all possible, you know, I have a friend who was a PA and he was working on a studio lot and a very 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 big movie star was shooting a movie on that lot. So everybody was super excited about it. And my friend, the PA, was like, God, I've written this script and this movie star is perfect for it. How do I find the movie star? So they couldn't find him. Like he was always not around. So they figured out <laughs> which car was his and the PA put his script on the movie star's windshield. And the movie star took the script and my friend ended up being represented by the movie star's agent. So, yeah, all kinds of stuff can happen. Um, it doesn't mean that that's going to happen. It doesn't mean that it's like you're set in stone. Trust me, I mean, I'm flattered that folks think that I was that big of a deal on Doogie Howser. I was not. <laughs> I, was, I was like the lowest guy on the totem pole. I didn't have extra connections. I was working in an industry. I was doing my best to pay attention to things. I had an agent that had no interest in my scripts. Uh, I think I told the story the last time we talked. I had a friend who was an actor. He had a friend who was a manager. I did not know the manager. I had written the script. My friend was like, you should meet my friend, the manager. That's how it happened. It wasn't like, I mean, I guess if, if, if the concern is you had an advantage because you had a friend, yeah. I did. Um, would I had that friend if I lived in Kentucky? Probably not. You know what I mean? But that doesn't mean that if you're in Kentucky, you can't blow up 
in the film industry because that happens a lot too. Like people enter contests or they submit their scripts to the Sundance Lab or whatever it is and they're in Wisconsin or they're in Idaho or they're wherever and somebody sees that script. They don't have any connections. They just have a great script. And people go, we're going to fly you out to Sundance and you're going to sit here and we're going to help you develop. And then the film gets made and then they blow up and they're sitting on the dais and then they're making other films and they're way past me. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, you know, yeah, everybody has advantages or disadvantages one way or another. But, you know, I, I, for the record, it's not like I was connected in that sense. Would you say, too, even if someone is on this, like, trajectory of, like, film after film after film, even for that level that it can still be, like, starting from scratch again for something that that person wants to do if they want to do a, a script or something? The industry has a very short attention span uh, and a long memory. So if they remember you well, at a high enough level, there's a lot of stuff you can try and you can do again. Um, I like to talk about people like uh, Danny DeVito, Kevin James. Everybody looks at these guys as leading men, and they are. But they didn't start there. Danny DeVito was doing off-Broadway plays, playing a dog, like literally like on his hands and knees, barking. But he continued to grow and got to such a point where people loved his work that he became a leading man. Same thing with Kevin James. Not that he was barking on stage, but you know, he was a stand-up comedian. He was getting roles and stuff. The stand-up career got him the show. He was the leading man in the show, and then he starts being a leading man in, in, in film. So, you know, you start where you are and you grow from there. But I think that. If Kevin James had started off with his first project, I was like, I'm not doing this unless I'm the leading man. I don't, I don't necessarily think that that would have flown. You know, I think you build a repertoire and then people just go with you. If people like you, they'll follow you anywhere. Look at Will Smith. Will Smith was a sitcom star, right? But people loved the show and they loved him. And he was like, I want to become a serious actor. And everybody went, okay. And they show up for his movies. You know, it's like, that's the thing. Like, it's not advantages, disadvantages. Everybody's got them. Everybody's got both. But it doesn't mean that what you want is impossible, you know. You hunker down and focus on it. None of these people are different from anybody else. They're all humans. They just put their minds in a certain space and were like, this is what I want. I deserve it. Nothing's going to stop me. That's all really anybody has to do. And I know that sounds, you know, hippy dippy or whatever, but that's all anybody did. You know, they got punched in the face and they got punched in the face and they got doors slammed on them. And they're like, okay, there's another door. I'm gonna go over here now. 
you know, they didn't necessarily get on Twitter <laughs> and complain about the door that got slammed on them. They just, you know, just keep going. That's all you can do, in my opinion. I could be wrong, but that's what I think. Markets regarding connections in mm. Hollywood. I have a quote here. I don't know who said it. Uh, connections are good, but nobody is going to put their business in jeopardy because of a connection. That's absolutely true. Did you say that? No. Okay. I don't know where we no, got this no, quote. No. Wait, did I? No, I didn't. Okay. <laughs> I didn't. No, no, I didn't. It's true, though. Okay. It's, it's a business, especially now. And it's become a very risk-adverse business, especially now. Because people don't like going to the movie theater unless... Spider-Man's there. So studios, <clears throat> they're spending the money where the money's going to get spent. So you can know Lorenzo De ben Benaventura, who runs, or one of the guys that runs Warner Brothers. And you can be like, hey, man, I know you're doing a lot of stuff right now. I got this musical about socks. <laughs> Lorenzo's probably gonna say, you keep that to yourself. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a business. And, and it's shifting, like daily, especially now, with all the streaming wars going on, and everybody's pissed at Netflix. They're pulling their content off of Netflix to start their own streamers, and they're trying to brand themselves, like this is what we do, this is what we don't do, and other people are like, counter branding against that to get their own it's a lot of money at stake it's a lot of it's business like if what you do lines up with their business model cool doesn't mean you're not talented doesn't mean what you do isn't great it means it doesn't fit them just had a, a pitch meeting that went amazing at a major cabler and executives were totally into what we had done they're like this is really funny and it's timely great but they're rebranding and their brand is this and my show is this so they were like it's great the writing's great it's gonna be a fun show it's not for us and that's fine you know, because everybody is doing what they need to do for their business. I don't advocate doing or changing your stuff to fit somebody's business, but it doesn't hurt, I don't think, to sort of pay attention to what networks, studios, cablers, streamers, what are they doing? And what do I have in my arsenal where does it fit? Where does this make sense? You know what I mean? Because you're in a business too. Your business is getting your brand out there. And there's somewhere for every brand. You've got a brand, they've got a brand, you just gotta find brand links up. So that's my very long-winded answer to that, to that question. So when someone says, well, now I'm mad because 
person B won't help me get to person A and they're just trying to hold me down and, and it's just, this, this industry is no good. Everybody's trying to, is that really it? Or is it just like, look, we all have our own sort of name and reputation at stake. I'd love to help you, but. For that person, yes, that's true. Because they've made a decision to see it that way. So for them, it's true. It's absolutely true. Um, the great thing about being a human being with a brain is you get to decide how you see things. You get to choose how you react to what happens to you. So you can decide, well, this sucks. It's never going to happen. Everybody sucks. When you take a script, you put it in a box, you put it under your bed, and walk around and be mad. Or you can say, all right, well, those are two people in an industry with thousands of people. And somehow my work made me a friend, which means it probably will make me another friend. So I guess what I need to do is keep going and find another spot, another avenue, another outlet, another way to get this material that I believe in into the right hands. The right hands is super important because it's not about just getting the things set up, or getting the things sold. You can get the things set up and get the things sold. And if it's in the wrong hands, it's gonna be crap. You know, you need to be able to lock in with whoever is going to be working with you to bring the thing to fruition. That's what makes a film or a show great because everybody, for the most part, gets on the same page. I mean, there's always disagreements and, well, I think this should happen. I think this character should be here, not there. That's it's just part of it. But if the overall goal is the same, that's what you want. So if person B cannot take you to person A or will not take you to person A, it's not the right fit. There's a good fit. It's out there. It's just not this person. And this person might be a better fit for that other thing you got. So make sure you got another thing. Like I tell the writers all the time, like if you want to get cooking and you've got a script you dig, that's awesome. Um, you should never stop believing in it, but you should have something else. Because again, brands, people could be like, I'm not into this, but I like the writing. What else you got? And then if you don't have anything else, you're sitting there going, uh, remember the attention span, it's really short. So if you can't come back and say, oh yeah, I got another thing. Why don't we talk next week about the new thing? forget people see a lot of people especially executives oh my god the scripts that they read the pitches they have to see all of it continual stuff coming at them it's very very rare for those guys to remember this one specific thing that i saw 
three months ago. They can, it happens if it really stood out to that one person or whatever, but you know, better your odds. Just keep making content, you know, it's important. I think. Last time we interviewed you in 2015, you were in Ventura, right. beautiful Ventura. Yes. And now you've returned to the LA area. Yes. I know a lot of things have changed here in terms of traffic and gentrification, <laughs> all that. Aside from those very real things, have you noticed that the way the industry works has changed? Totally. It's completely different. Um, <laughs> in so many ways. Like, so, all right, 2015. So that's four years, um, four and a half, maybe. Like everything's like the onset of streaming is probably the, the largest difference. The onset of YouTube influencers becoming millionaires on YouTube. Huge difference. Um, the changes we've had in uh, politics, the changes that we've had in culture. Um, yeah, it's way different now. There are sections of people that just can't get stuff done no more, you know, because they're not the right fit for the way the world is. So, yeah, there's been a lot of differences, a lot of changes. When you've tried to get in front of someone to pitch or whatever it is, get a project together, do you notice changes in that in terms of how it used to be? I don't know how long you'd been gone from oh, LA. Um, yeah, I mean, I am now in that sort of midway point where uh, I'm interested in doing independent things, but it's sort of evolved itself into a, a higher level. So there's more money involved, and because there's more money involved, there's more um, necessities. Oh, like what? Um, when you're asking folks for more money, they want some sort of assurance that they're going to get some return on their investment. Um, more often than not, a great script is not that to them, no matter how great they believe it is. It's about eyeballs. How can I get a ton of eyeballs on this thing so that I can turn a profit, get my money back? or get my money back and turn a profit. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on right now. So they need name attachments, uh, director attachments, something, you know. That's why they keep making superhero movies. That's why. Like everybody's like, oh, and, and I know people love them and, and they should because there's a huge worldwide market for that. But they keep making them because there's a huge worldwide market for that, you know? So it's like, hey, I want to make a movie about flowers in the sun. I want to make a movie about Iron Man. We're gonna go with Iron Man, because there's a lot more there. And you know, some people love it, some people hate it, but you gotta respect it. That's what, that's, that's what that is. You can't really, can't get around that.
So you got to be able to understand the business that you're in. It's one thing to stick to your guns creatively. And I'm totally down for that. I completely respect that because I think you have to be that way, especially in this business, because it can get very dogged. Um, but you also have to respect the industry and the way it works. A lot of people say it's not it's not a place, it's just your work that gets it noticed. So having moved like two hours now back, yeah. um, do you feel that it's easier to get stuff done now that you're here in LA or get stuff seen rather than being just a short drive away, a beautiful train ride away Yeah, in a town that is gorgeous and you can find a nice place to have lunch? <laughs> I don't know how, you know, there's like an urgency to areas too. I've heard the same about San Diego, even though it's, again, two hours from L.A. The urgency maybe isn't the same as when you're in L.A. Things yeah. move faster. It, you know, I mean, yeah, of course. It's a, it's a big city. You know, Ventura is not. But that's not the reason. I mean, the reason is who you're working with and, and, and how much work you're putting in. You know, I mean, if I was working with, like, a really great production company, right, and I was still in Ventura at the time, it wouldn't, I don't think there would have been any sort of time difference or, 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 or difference in getting stuff done. It's just, you know, just more driving back and forth to meetings and stuff. I don't think it's, I mean, yeah, if you live in, you know, Nebraska, it's better to be in LA because there's more stuff happening in LA than in Omaha, but you know, if you're just talking about, you know, an hour or two drive difference, that's not any different. It's just a matter of like how much work you're putting in. And maybe it's easier to be lazy if you're not in town. Perhaps it's easier if you're in um, Ventura or like say San Diego or wherever. Perhaps it's easier to not put in the work because maybe it's perceived as being harder um, but it's not. Do you think there's an energy here in LA that pushes you to keep working? Whereas maybe Ventura, it's too comfortable. It's too like, yeah, I can find a parking spot at the beach. No problem. <laughs> I know we talked about that I think last time. Yeah. And yeah. here, man, you will drive around the block. Okay. Do I really want to pay $20 to park in this lot? Right. Where I may, you know, I'm going to have to park at the very end. Right. Do, do you... No, for sure. I mean, listen, if you live in a basketball town and you like croquette, it's going to be very hard for you. But if you move to a town where they love croquette, you're probably going to play a lot more croquette. You know what I mean? So yeah, you're, you're in the city where it's happening. There's definitely a bigger, larger energy that's happening in Los Angeles. Everybody's, not everybody, but a lot of folks are connected to the entertainment industry. People are moving and shaking. There's a lot of ideas floating around. You probably can connect to people that are part of your tribe easier because they've already made the commitment and they're here and they're doing stuff. I always admire people. I meet people that come here and they're working and they're from like Sweden. You know what I mean? And it's like, so you lived like in Sweden and you spoke Swedish, but you wanted to make movies. So you left everything you knew and you learned a different language and you got on a plane without any guarantee of anything. And you took a one-way ticket trip 
to Los Angeles and figured out how to like get an apartment and get a job so that you could pursue this thing. Like that's, dude, my hat is off to anybody who makes that trip. That is a, I just had to drive down from Ventura. That's nothing. <laughs> there are people coming here from countries. You know what I mean? Like they're leaving their families behind. They're like, you know, suffering through holidays alone, lonely because they believe in something. Like there's no way you can not respect that type of person. Do you think it makes you more competitive being here? Probably. Are you competitive? No. Nah. Can you still be successful and not be competitive? I hope so. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I mean, no. I mean, I think you got to do what you do and then find folks to dig what you do. You know, you can get mad about something or somebody is doing something similar to you and that's fine but then that's a lot of energy of yours that could be spent creating something else of yours spent on hating this person and you don't you know they don't give you time back which is my understanding i don't know I don't know if you get to the end and then they go, well, you <laughs> saved some time. So here, here's another year and a half. I don't know that that happens. So, you know, I think, I think it's better to just be mindful of your own, your own track, which again is why I'm always saying more than one thing. Always create. Always, 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 always. Especially like if you really dig something, like if you've got a lot of stuff, and you really want to do something a certain way, if you've got more content, you've got the option to save that. You know, like I've got, pfft, I have a catalog of projects and I have it split. Like this is the stuff I want to do my way. And this is the stuff we're selling. And that, we really like this, but we want to add a raccoon to it. <laughs> do it do it that raccoon could end up making 200 million dollars at the box office and then i can pull this thing out and i can say okay remember that movie i made with you with the raccoon made all that money i want you to make this movie now and they'll go all right you gave us the raccoon so you know i think it's important to have that it's not easy necessarily i mean you know, everybody's wired differently, but I think the more stuff you can stockpile, the better. What makes a good story? <laughs> Depends on who you're telling. You know, some folks love uh, um, small town tales, you know? I love Netflix. I'm always flipping around on Netflix to watch like all the stuff that no one talks about. And uh, I'm a I'm huge fan of Asian television. It's like a whole thing, like Singaporean TV and Taiwanese TV. Like I'm like familiar with the stars of that area of the world now because I love what they do. And it's really like super heavy emotional stuff. So I, I don't know, I watched two or three shows with my wife. And she was like, all right, I'm done. 
it's way too emotional. I'm crying. I got my nose all stuffed up. My <laughs> eyes are puffy. You find something to watch that's not going to give me a heart attack. So I found this show called Good Witch. And I thought it was going to be like, you know, a witch show. I thought it was going to be like a supernatural thing. And we dig supernatural stuff, right? So I'm like, all right, that's cool. This probably won't give you a heart attack. Let's watch Good Witch. Um, she's not a witch. Like, nothing <laughs> happens. Like, it's not. It's, but it's, you know, it's made for a different audience. And I ended up watching the whole thing of it. And I was like, all right, this is kind of cool. It's not what I would usually pick. But all right, let me see what's cooking here. I don't think the people that watch Good Witch went to go see uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I doubt the folks that went out to see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood were like, man, that was a good movie. Let's go home and watch Good Witch. Like, I don't, I don't think that, you know. So I, it depends. It depends on, on, it depends on who you're telling and, and, and it depends on who's telling the story. You know, I think you, you, you tell a good story from a relatable, authentic place and you tell it to somebody who kind of understands that, that vibe, that, that feeling. So, you know, you can't say one's better than the other. I know people like doing that, especially like, you know, on, on the interwebs. I know people like to. Ah, oh, this is crap, and this is terrible, and this is awful. It's like, and that's all true to you. You know, you watch something, you think it's absolute crap. It is absolute crap to you. But to somebody else, I think it's great. It's kind of my problem with critics. You know? Because they're, 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 you're, you know, it's, they're, you're curating opinions. And that's fine, but like, I don't know. Maybe it's me reading too much into it, but I, I, I just, I don't personally think you can say, well, I decree that this is not worth the time of millions of people because it didn't appeal to me. Critics hate Adam Sandler. Nobody's stopping Adam Sandler from making stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? Netflix was like, here's, Tons of money. Do whatever you want to do. And people show up. Does a great Bon Jovi. Does do a great Bon Jovi. <laughs> Does. I like Adam Sandler. I do too. Laugh. It's really funny. He makes me laugh. Well, you know, and then there's different things for different moods. That's true. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, you can be like, you know what? It's a goofy night. My friends are out. We're being stupid. Let's watch a really cheesy, stupid horror movie. Let's watch Attack of the Killer Donuts. <laughs> and we'll get high and laugh our asses off and it'll be great. And then other times, you want to watch Big Little Lies. I was, you know, I was just waiting for you to finish and I was going to bring that up. <laughs> I, we must be having, because I was like, when he's done, I'm going to bring up Big Little Lies. Okay. okay. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 it's all good. No, I, but, but, wow, that's you know, weird. It's, it's you were like reading my mind. It, see, I'm telling you. My, you're right, you're right. Energy, energy. 
Because what I was going to say about it, sorry to cut you no, off. No, no, no. Was that I was resistant to the show. I finally watched it. I was like, wow, this is really good. And I don't normally want to go down that route of like, oh, this is going to sound really bad. Right. But a bunch of women who have it really good fight with each other. I kind of get tired of that trope. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah, yeah. it's, it's overdone and, it, you know. But I was like, okay, wow. Oh, she's, oh my goodness. Yeah, she's going to do that. Oh, well, look what she just did. This right. like power yeah. move. Okay. And then there was times I was like, you know what? I don't want to go there today. Right. Yeah. I'll give me something else. Yeah. It's not that it's not great writing, great acting. Love the set. Love that it's set in Monterey. Right. But some days I don't want to go to that spot. And But I was willing to go there. I was like, I can see what all the fuss is about. You get caught up. Yeah. I didn't think I was going to like Good Witch. And then I got caught up in the thing. I was like, what, what is Cassie going to do now? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Would I ever like write something like that? Probably not. But everybody's got different stuff that they want to do and different moods that they're in. And you know, it's funny. Like I was watching a comedians in cars with coffee. I think it's called the full title. Jerry Seinfeld. I can't remember who he was talking to, but he was like asking his guest if they liked going to the movies. And they were like, yeah, movies are cool. And then he's like, yeah, movies aren't any good. It's not about the movie. Like, you go there because you want to get the popcorn and you get the seat and you get the candy and do the whole thing. Who cares what the movie is? You just want to be in the thing. You want to be in the theater. You know, maybe that's true. It's definitely true for him. He said it. You know, but I think, I don't think there's any... I don't think you can shame people for liking what they like. Right, right. You know, if you if you like award-winning cinema, that doesn't make you a better person than the guy that likes Johnny Knoxville movies. You know, just that's what you like. Like maybe maybe you got to deal with real intense serious stuff at work and you don't want to have to think about all of the stuff that happens in succession. So you want to just like laugh. I don't know. You know, that's why there's something for everybody. Right. Remember Rhonda Shear up all night? Oh my God. I mean, sometimes those were great movies. Like Jesus it was so cheesy and, and just yeah. like this ripped like barbarian outfit or something. But there was, a, it was like late at night and sometimes you didn't want anything too heavy. And it was like perfect. It's just fun, man. <laughs> you know, I think, it, I think that's, I think it's good that we've got all, I mean, it's like food, man. I mean, if you're, if you're a fit, healthy person, you're eating the right foods, you're doing all the right stuff, like at a certain point, you're probably going to want a slice of pizza. Doesn't make you like, oh my God, I don't even know you anymore. It's, it's a slice of pizza. Relax. You know, I'll be hitting the kale tomorrow. It's, sure. it's variety, man. It's, it's. Every, there's something for everybody at any point in time in their life or mood or whatever. It's more about just enjoying stuff, I think. Hey, Siri. Yes. What's the difference between plot and story? Are story and plot the same thing? I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. It's a good question. Um, should, should, we, should we ask Siri? I hadn't thought of that. 
Let's ask. Let's Siri. try it. Let's do it. I don't know. Okay. Hey Siri. Yes. What's the difference between plot and story? What's the difference between plot and story? I found this on the web. All right. Let's see. Oh, great. The difference between plot and story. Did yours have more of like a British accent? Yeah. Oh, okay. I like the I like the British lady. She makes me feel That's cool. Classier. Yeah. Uh the King's English. Like it. A story is the requisite timeline of events present in any narrative. No story, no novel, because any novel, however abstract, must report events of some kind. A plot expresses rationale and informs the reader why a specific list of events belongs together, what the timeline is ultimately meant to communicate. So yes, they are different. Thank you, Siri. <laughs> that only took an eternity. So yeah. Do you think of that when you're writing, or no, no. none of that enters your mind. It's not. You're not. None okay. of it. Not a single iota. No. Um, I just try to think what's cool, what could be cool, and then who could be cool, and then what can they get into. And then how do, uh, that extrapolates into other stuff. I learned, what is it called? I think it's called the law of inevitability. And this was taught to me by um, David Greenwald, who I think got it from Joss Whedon. So basically what the law of inevitability means is if this happens, inevitably this will happen. And then if that happens, inevitably that will happen. And then if that happens, inevitably that will happen. That's kind of the rule I use. I just kind of go. And then it becomes this really sort of organic process. Because like I said before, I don't do all the stuff. I don't do the outline and the thing and the thing and the cards and the thing. I don't do any of that. Um, I just sort of like to investigate the characters through the story and then, all right, here's this scenario. Okay, so now that that happened, what would she do? Well, she would probably do this because of that. But if she does that, he's probably going to do this. That's how I do it. Did you always feel you had your own voice? No. With writing, no? No. Wasn't until I, um, oddly enough, left the city and just started to not try to follow the track. Because, you know, there's like a track. There's like always like the hot thing that's happening in town, right? And so everybody's trying to come up with their version of that thing. And then when I stopped trying to do that, I just started figuring out what I liked. Even movies and TV shows and stuff. Like, you know, what do I like? Um, that's when, like, the voice kicked in. Like, that's when it's like, okay, well, you've got a definitive opinion about this in society. And so then that creeps in. How does someone know which story they should write? Hmm. 
<laughs> For me, it's if I can't stop thinking about it. You know, it's like it's like it's like dating. You know, like if you can't stop thinking about that girl, you should call her. You know, so if you've got this thing in your head and you can't get rid of it, you can't shake it, it won't go away. That's probably the thing you should be writing. Well, you had an interesting story without giving away too much information about it because I don't want anything to happen to the idea. But, oh, right. Which is, it was a more of a, um, it was an unusual story. Maybe right. less unusual than we really think. I don't know. Right. But uh, I found it interesting that you found out that something that writing from that perspective, it was from a woman's perspective. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of her... That's both Facing shame or perceived shame. Or yeah, yeah. That's kind of the, that's, that's, that's kind of my jam. You like that? That yeah. sort of protagonist that's... I do. I like, I like, uh, I like, <laughs> I like, uh, I like horrible things happening in beautiful places. That's my, that's Big my jam. Big little lies. Yeah, yeah that's my jam. <laughs> I like that stuff. Um, no, I just, I, 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 uh, I don't know. I write a lot from a lot of a lot of female lead characters. Uh, I always have. It's just that now it's cool. <laughs> Before it wasn't so cool. Um, I had a manager. I wrote this thing, and it was a female lead, and he was like, "You should make this a dude," and I was like. I think dudes are good. Like, I don't think there's a shortage of roles for dudes. So I'm going to keep it a woman. And then we stopped working together, <laughs> which was good because it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the right fit. You think as an audience we're harder on female protagonists or oh, yeah. women are harder on them? Both. I think both. Or we're, we're so jacked up, man. <laughs> Our culture and society is so jacked up about women and sexuality. And... Did I tell you guys a story about the nipple? No. Was there a wardrobe malfunction? No, oh. no. Uh, so I was working on this thing, um, and it was, you know, it was like a big sort of, I guess, fantasy thing. Um, and it was like a crew of people that had like these special abilities. And it was set in Miami. And they got uh, topless beaches down there. So me and my partner, we're working on the script. And we have the crew sitting on the beach. And the scene started with uh, the two women who were walking topless down the beach. So the camera was going to pan from the two topless women onto the crew. And then the crew and the scene unfold. 10 pages before this, the crew was in the swamplands of Florida and they uh, decapitated and ripped 
the limbs off of like five bodybuilders. Then they like charbroiled them, charbroiled them. There we go. That's a word. Uh, <laughs> with fire and fed the limbs to the alligators in the swamp. That happened 10 pages ago. So the <laughs> notes come back. We're trying to keep this a PG-13 piece. So let's put tops on the women on the beach who are ultimately going to be extras, you know, but we're going to, we need to put tops on them. <laughs> I'm like, uh, not for nothing, but did anybody read what happened 10 pages before that scene where like the dudes get ripped apart and the thing? And they told me, you can decapitate 10 adult men and still be PG-13. Hmm. One female nipple, and it's rated R. Has that changed? I don't know. Uh, it was very eye-opening when I heard it, when it happened. Because um, that sort of speaks to, like, I don't know. That's really weird. That's super weird. That's, <laughs> like, super weird. We're so much more comfortable with violence than we are with any form of, like, sexuality in this country. Well, the woman, too, the nipple, she could be breastfeeding. Really? I mean, we don't know in what sense the nipple would be shown. Well, I, they I, were just walking down the street. They were walking down the beach. Oh, I see. In that movie, right. right yeah. Right. They were just walking. They were just going to walk down the beach on a topless beach, which are legal in certain areas of Miami. And so this was a script you wrote? Yeah, I, was, I had a writing partner okay. that I was working with back in the day. And... Uh, this was a piece that we were working on, and this was these were the notes we got back. So, so then did you put bikini tops on the extras? <laughs> yeah, that's what they, that's what they wanted. You know, it's there. That's what they were paying for. Didn't have to change the scene ten pages prior. Like the dudes could still get ripped up and set on fire and fed out. That's fine. That's okay. But let's cover up those nipples. Got to keep those female nipples covered up. Because we're not trying to make an R-rated movie, so. I don't know. Draw your own conclusions about what that means. Speechless. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. It's, I don't know. Let's suppose you do get your script, some kind of traction on it, where someone answers an email. <laughs> how, how much not trouble, but effort, is it to actually get a meeting? And then once you get a meeting, what happens? Um, now, it's, it's not trouble, but it requires effort. Um, especially if you're playing in the network studio game, because like everything is an upheaval right now. Um, that's why I'm always saying, like, you have to pay attention to the business and what's happening and what people are doing and what's going on. Um, you can be dealing with a company, and you can be dealing with an executive in that company. Um, for instance, this is something that we, we dealt with. Uh, had a piece of material, had an executive that was interested, 
one set up a meeting. And then, you know, meetings don't happen right away because there's so many meetings, there's so many people. It usually takes, you know, a week or two or three to set the meeting up. So we set the meeting up. Within that three week time frame, that executive no longer worked at that company. They work somewhere else now. So that meeting, um, that meeting's in fantasy land, <laughs> has nothing to do with anything like, oh, well, you know, I don't like you anymore. It's, people are getting switched up. They're like, you know, the, the networks and studios are consolidating. You know, Disney bought Fox because they want Disney Plus and they, Everybody's doing a lot of stuff, right? There's all kinds of shifting around right now. And um, we did a pitch, went great. And then the executive branch, like the people running the studio that owned the network, switched. They hired a brand new CEO, hired all these new people. Those people are now running everything. Those people have a mandate. That mandate now has to come down the pike. Our show, which these executives dug, did not fit the new mandate. So we're done. Again, doesn't mean they didn't like it, but it's a business. Like people are doing things very specifically for their brand, for their companies. I mean, that's, that's how it is now. So, you know, again, like a broken, Record. It's like a record. Oh, nice. Yeah. Is it cool? What record is that? I don't know. Just a record. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> but like a broken record, have more stuff. Have more than one piece. Have more content because things shift up like crazy all the time. And especially if they like your writing and the script that you wrote doesn't fit the mandate that the company has, the executive can still say, listen, if you've got anything else that fits our bill, please let us know, we'd love to hear it. So it behooves you to have plenty of material. Let's say your meeting is on the 25th, the 24th comes, they're still employed there, you're still good to go. <laughs> what are you doing the night before the meeting and what are you doing while you're in the, in the waiting room? How early are you getting there? What's your strategy? I, you know, I think it's just, you just prepare. You know, I think, I think if you've got a pitch, you know, the, the folks that I'm working with, great, um, amazing company. Been doing it for a really long time, know the ins and outs. Um, we just would go over the pitch. Be like, okay, the meeting is three weeks out. So let's meet up every week and do the pitch. So we would sit down, we would do the pitch. Be like, hmm, what if we did this? What if we tweak that? Move this around, move that around. All right, cool. We'll come back next week, we'll do it again. We did it again. You know what? Probably don't need to say that. Let's do this. Just keep tweaking and tweaking, getting super familiar with the material. You know, and then go in. And I, you know, we just chilled. They gave us tea and soda and uh, <laughs> we just hung out. And then they took us up to the, uh, 
this huge executive boardroom because we had a uh, we had a visual presentation that went along with the pitch. We chilled out there, and they brought us more tea and soda, and the executives came in. And we had this killer pitch. And they were great. It was fun. The pitch was fun to do. Like it's fun. Like you should be fun. You created this thing. You love this thing. That should come across. Like don't let the, you know, anxiety of oh, I want to sell this thing and oh, this would be so great. Like yeah, of course you want to sell it. Of course it'll be so great. But like don't let that overwhelm the joy of this thing that you used your baby. You like created this thing that you totally love. And then like this person dug it and then they took it to this person and that person dug it. So there's like this whole, like but by the time you pitch something, a lot of people like what you've done. So you're not nuts anymore. You know what I mean? Like you write the thing and it's like, well, I like it. Uh, I might be nuts. And then like more people like it. And now they wanna get on board and they wanna help out and they wanna represent or whatever it is. So by the time you're sitting in front of an executive, there's a lot of people that dig it, including the executive to a certain extent. Because the executive's already heard the soft pitch of what the thing is that you've created and that was enough to make them say, come in here. So it's a big deal, yes. But it's a big deal because you created something people dig. So be happy about it. We were thrilled, man, it was fun. He was like, yeah, I've been working on this thing for a year. Let me tell you this part, let me tell you that part. It was fun. It should be fun. I know that sounds, you know, too simple, but it's, you're getting the opportunity to share this really cool thing that you created with people who could potentially put it out to the world. And the stuff you say are the stuff they're going to say to their bosses because they dig what you do, they dig what you say, they're gonna to go to their bosses and say the same stuff you said that got them excited, which will get their bosses excited. And then the next thing you know, the thing's on the air. And now they're getting millions of people excited saying the same stuff you said to them in the room the first time. So, you know, just be excited about it, it's cool. Even if it doesn't pan out, it's cool. You know, you have a good pitch, people dig you, they'll let you pitch again. That's a win. Like getting in a room is a win, it's a big win. Oh, so then always leave kind of your foot in the door in a graceful way so you can come back? I think, yeah, I think you do that by just being cool. I think if you write something good, because the whole point of the pitches is to get them to read the thing, right? Because nobody wants to read anything. Right? It's like, oh, I gotta read. Nobody wants to do that. So you pitch them the thing to get them excited about the thing. So they go, all right, all right, let me read the thing. This is cool. That's funny. That's weird. All right, whatever. So you get them excited about reading the thing. They like the way you handle yourself and they like how you write. It presents itself. The open door presents itself. Like the pitches that we've done, or I've done with the company, We've just gone in with the attitude of like, let's just have a great time. We know what we want. We know the show. We know what we came here to do. Let's just go in there and have fun. If we have fun, they'll have fun. And so far, we've been welcomed back. When you're practicing and you're in front of someone else, like what are the, how, how does this practice session go? 
it's kind of like for me, it's like uh, it's very challenging for me because the easiest part of the process for me is writing the script. That's the easiest part. Like everybody like agonizes over that. I'm just like, when can I just sit down and write the script? <laughs> like, I don't, I don't talk about all the other stuff and the thing. It's so much more challenging for me to sell a project than it is to just write the script. It's like, what's it about? Here's 42 pages. I'll tell you everything you need to know. It's all in there. I wrote all of it. It's easy. But that's not how it works. So you got to get in there and you got to dissect it and you got to like analyze it and you got to figure out what it means to the world and how it's timely right now and what are the themes and what are you trying to say about the world that we live in. So we basically wrote a script about that. So it's like a script about the script. And I say this part, you say that part. I say this part, you say that part. I say this part, you say that part. Well, you know what? This is the actual plot of the pilot. So since you wrote it, you should say that part. Well, this part is about the female character that is kind of controversial. You're a female, you should say that part instead of me. So you toy around with it and then you present it and then you memorize it like you do a, a performance. That's what we did anyway. Other people might do different stuff, but that's, that's how we did it. But yeah, I'd rather just write the script <laughs> itself. When you leave the pitch, do you have a good intuition about how it went or is it like they could just love it and you have no idea and then they're not gonna end up going <laughs> with it? And then the, the opposite? No, I, you know, it's, we went through that. I mean, we had the pitch and then we left and we felt good about doing it and we felt good about the way they responded, but they're executives. Like their job is to sort of like not give you anything. Like that's, you know, like all executives are probably really good at poker. Cause like that's their job. They can't, you know, they're not gonna, they're not gonna like open up a checkbook in the room. Be like, this is great. How much you want? Like they're not, <laughs> they're not gonna do that. There's like all kinds of checks and balances that have to go on. So they can't really give you much of anything except for, you know, undivided attention. So the pitch we had, the executives came in and there was undivided attention. Like nobody was checking the phone, nobody was doing this, nobody had like other stuff they were flipping through. Like it was us, the presentation and them. And they were in it and we were in it. And that felt great. But you know, the pitch ends and they go, this sounds great. Send us the script, we'll be in touch. So you leave. So the good thing about that is send us the script. If you get people to the point where they want to read something, <laughs> you've done something right. Because nobody wants to read anything. Nobody wants to read. You know what I mean? So that's the good thing that you pick up on. But you, you drive yourself nuts trying to figure out, well, you know, did they think, what do they think? They said this word. Is that a good, you think that's a good? <laughs> Dude, you drive yourself nuts. You know, you gotta just, kind of got to rely on yourself and how good you feel about what you're doing, what you did, and then let the rest of it fall. And, broken record, best thing for that, have more material. Because if you've got other stuff, 
And you got one pitch with one project, but that's cool. If that doesn't fly, I got all this other cool stuff. So again, all this, sorry, internet, have more stuff. You said rely on yourself. Were you always that self-reliant? Uh, no, probably not. I was more angry. You know, first script I ever wrote, I wrote because I was angry at TV. <laughs> I remember watching something. I don't even remember what it was, but I was like, seriously? This is supposed to be comedy? This is crap. Do better than this. And that's how I wrote my first script. Some of my first script was written out of anger. Um, it was always just like, oh, I didn't bad that. And then that evolved to sort of appreciating the process of what happens. You know what I mean? It's weird. Like if you're working on a show, well, at least when I was working on a show, it's like a kid straight out of high school and pay a whole lot of attention to the process. You know, I had my job, which was to play the role that I had been hired to play, say these lines appropriately, and then, you know, go hang out with my friends. I didn't know the process of like the writers having to sit with the showrunners and the director and let's change this and the executives want this to be in the episode and you can't do that and we got all and pay attention to any of that but you know you you'd learn as you go and then the first time you write something the actual effort to actually write something in itself is it's super easy to be like that's stupid <laughs> like that's super easy but like nobody Nobody sets out to like make something stupid. <laughs> like nobody's like, all right, you know what? Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna make a shitty movie. Like that's our goal. Like, nobody does that. You know, there's a process that you go through and the process from your brain to the screen, there's all kinds of stuff in between that. You know what I mean? So. So no, I, just, I, think I, just, I think I just learned and I got more comfortable with what I wanted to say and I got more comfortable with the way I said it. I got more comfortable with my own process of how I wrote. You know, I tried all the stuff and it just wasn't comfortable and I, could, I never finished anything. But if I just kind of let myself get lost in the story, I ended up with a story and I just decided, well, this is what works for me. If it sucks, it sucks, but I'm having fun. I like it. Having been a teenager and being in the industry, still being in it now, do you think you've been able to separate the rejection um, from the work versus they're rejecting you? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I think everybody should live a year of their life as an actor, like everybody. Just so that you can understand <laughs> how meaningless no is. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like anybody can say no to anything. Okay, great. There's like billions of other people. There's all kinds of other stuff going on. Like everything you've seen, somebody said no to it. Probably several people said no to it before you saw it. There's a thing that was on Twitter. Um, 
uh, which I got off of, which I'm so happy about. Anyway, there was this thing on the Twitter and it was like, share your stories of oh, rejection yeah, or something. Right. Yep. And you got all of these writers and actors and everybody was just like, you know, I remember one guy was like, I sent my script to this festival and they told me it was unfunny and unstructured. There was no focus and there was nothing anybody could do with it. It premieres tonight starring Jim Carrey on Showtime. I saw that tweet. Right. Yes, I saw the say, yeah. Oh, it's awesome. <laughs> but like if the dude had gotten all of that nonsense and been like, oh, well, I suck and ripped up the script, we're done. You know what I mean? Who cares that that person said no to him? I think him? I read it to you. Yeah, I think I read that. That's yeah. so funny. It's yeah. like it's the, you're going to hear no and then you're going to get back up and then you're going to do something else. And maybe in the know, you hear something that teaches you something. Or it doesn't. Who cares? Whatever. You keep going. So, and I think acting is like, that's all you do as an actor is get told no. No, 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 not you. Oh, no, 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 no. Thank you, no, no. And then all of those people become stars. So yeah, I think everybody should be an actor for a year of their life, just so that they can understand that rejection is kind of pointless. Speaking of acting, Fight Club. Yeah. So I was watching a Joe Rogan interview and he was talking about a huge part of martial arts is one's relationship with the master, the coach. Right. And um, Joe says that it's like the one who can guide you through the most dangerous waters. And so he was interviewing none other than Fight Club's writer. Is it Chuck Polinick? I didn't. Yeah. It's hard to say the last name. Yeah. Okay, all right, good, good, all right. Um, which in the film, you play the detective Kevin, okay, in the movie. So does a writer have a coach or is that the audience? I'm not talking about a writing coach that you hire, but like sort of a sensei? You can, yeah, of course. Or, or is it the audience eventually that becomes that Mr. Miyagi who's kind of like, well, this is what it was? Well, it can. I mean, if you, if you allow the audience to define the work, then yes. I mean, yeah, a mentor is always great. Somebody who can like look at your script objectively you know, I've done it for people. I tell people all the time, you don't want different. You just want better because there's a difference. You know, if someone is reading your script and they're coming at you and there's all this stuff that changes it around, that's not necessarily good, you know? But if they read your script and they see what you're doing and they say, all right, I get this, here's a better way of bringing that out. That's what you want. That's what a coach would do. That's what a, a writing mentor would do. Sort of help you bring out your story to the best of your ability. Once you hit that, get at that point, you know, an audience can see it and analyze it and say, oh, well, we like this or we don't like that. And they have that right. But the story's done. You know, it's not like, you make a movie or a story comes out or whatever, 
<laughs> you know, an author doesn't write a book and then the audience is like, well, this sucked and you should have done that and this should have happened. And then the author goes back and rewrites the book and re-releases <laughs> the book. You know, it's already out. It's done. So yeah, there's stuff you can take from that and say, well, people kind of dug that, kind of didn't dig this. So when I make my next move, I can, I can keep that in mind. But yeah, it never hurts to have somebody that you can bounce off ideas and, and scripts and scenes with as long as they are in alignment with what you're doing. You know what I mean? If you write, if you write Reservoir Dogs, you don't want your mentor to be Crazy Rich Asians. You know what I mean? Because you're trying to shoot people and kill them and rob banks and whatnot. And they're like, where's the romance? <laughs> like, it's different, it's different. So people do have to understand what you're doing and where you're coming from. That's important. And on the same show, I think either Joe or Chuck said something about how a bad coach or master can really damage someone. Yep. So is that almost the critic? I don't think a critic is a coach. Because again, critic shows up at the end. Oh, you know what I mean? That's true. It's like the audience. The audience and the critic, they're kind of in the same boat because they're sitting there watching the end result of all the stuff that's already been done. You know, you need somebody that's there at the beginning when you're hatching the idea and they go, that's cool, that's cool. What if you came at it from this angle? Same deal, but like maybe this opens it up. More people. And you go, oh yeah, that's cool, that's good, that's good. That broadens the scope or it broadens the audience or it broadens like, you know, the viability of it. That's what you want. Critic can't do that. Critic can only show up at the end and, you know, take a shit all over what someone's already done. <laughs> you know what I mean? What's the character in um, Leave it to Beaver? The, uh... The one that said always misses nice to Mrs. Cleaver, but then <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> the oh gosh, I'm um, Beaver. So, so he's he's the blonde guy, and he's oh, hi, Mrs. Cleaver. Oh, lovely dress you're wearing today. And then to 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 the beaver, he's like throwing spitballs at him. So, that's the critic, I think. I mean, I you know, I don't know all of them. <laughs> I don't know them all. I mean, some of them could be great and cool and, you know, really into and care about stuff, but I don't know. In my opinion, it's easier to destroy than it is to create. Wow, that's really interesting. So I, I you know, I don't. That's really interesting. There's a, there's a really, really great filmmaker who said that uh, any review, good or bad, means nothing. So there's no point in reading them. Even if they're good, there's really no point in reading them because it's just one person's opinion. So make your stuff, get it out to people, find your audience, you know? I mean, can you imagine 
if like Adam Sandler cared about critics, right. be done. And there might be people be very happy about that. Because they'd be like, ugh, thank God, good riddance, he sucks. But then there's other people that would be like, are you kidding? Adam Sandler got me through whatever. Right. It's all art. I don't, I don't personally understand how you can uh, I don't know, critique art. You can talk about it. You can have your own personal feeling about it. But it's all subjective, you know? What's that one man's trash, trash is, is another man's treasure? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, okay, that's fine. You can have a yeah. thing. But I know there's a lot of stuff that critics love, like on a unilateral level, and then I see it, and I don't like it. And then there's like stuff critics hate, and then I see it, I kind of like it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so they're not necessarily talking from where I'm at. You know what I mean? So, I, I mean, I know the industry is a big thing and they want to have that critical acclaim. And I understand the, the benefit it brings a project and it's all great. But, you know, it's like Oscars, right? It's just, again, I was just going to say that. I was just thinking that. Well, it's the thing. <laughs> Uh, there's another film I hear. The whole idea behind the Oscars is it's, it's assumed um, that, it, that the Oscar that wins Best Picture or whatever is like the best movie. And it's not necessarily the best movie. You know, it's the movie that had the best campaign and had like the most amount of friends that were in the Academy to get it the most votes. Not that it's not a great film, could have been, might, might be the best movie. Who knows? But that's not the only deciding factor as to who gets an Oscar. Right. You know, he had people for years going, when the hell is Leonardo DiCaprio going to get an Oscar? He's like putting in all these great performances, right? And then you finally got one. And everybody's like, it was about time. But like, you know, maybe he should have had four. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, it's, so it's, it's, I don't know. It's, it is what it is and it's, it's what you dig. If you dig it, who cares what anybody else thinks? Why is screenwriting hard? It's not. It's not? Okay. Next question. <laughs> Should we ask Siri? I don't know. Okay. No, I'm, I, I don't think it's hard. Um, I, anything's hard that you know you're forcing anything's hard you're forcing if you're forcing it it's hard it then maybe is the career aspect of it hard so maybe it's easy the screenwriting process is easy oh yeah the the navigating of a career is always more challenging than doing the actual thing you know like there are tons of incredibly talented actors that are not stars for one reason or another that has nothing to do with how talented they are as actors. Same thing with writers, directors, musicians, songwriters, you know, 
the career trajectory is a completely different skill set. You know, I mean, that's why it's so important to to either have someone who can guide you through it or figure out how to market stuff so that it appeals to the people you're trying to get it to. But yeah, like, you know, I said earlier, way easier to write the script than pitch it. They'll ask you for like a log line. That's like a few words. That takes me forever to figure out. But you want 100 pages of a script? Done. Easy. Gotcha. Now you want me to take those 100 pages and put them in a sentence? Why? I got 100 pages. (laughs) You know? So they're just different skill sets. But I don't necessarily... I don't, think it's, I don't think it's necessarily hard. You know, it can be challenging. It can be difficult. There could be research involved. It's, you know, not necessarily easy, but I wouldn't categorize it as hard unless you're forcing it or there are forces impeding on the creative flow necessary. So were there times where you had someone that wanted to, quote, guide your career? And sometimes it's better to go it on alone, like yeah, uh, <clears throat> to someone that saw things in you and they thought this would be great. Let's work together on the trajectory of your career. Mm-hmm. And maybe early on you could kind of see maybe that would be better just to be on your own. Yeah, it's like the manager told me I should change the script and make it a dude when it was written about a woman. It's like. Mm-hmm. He's not wrong, not right, he's not wrong. It's just a different, it's a difference. You know, people get caught up in like, right, wrong, blame, this, that. It's like there's stuff that is, and then there's stuff that isn't. Like whatever perception you put on it is your perception. You know, you get way more, I get way more accomplished with that mindset than trying to figure out right and wrong and this and that and that. I like this. I think this works. I think this proceeds in a manner that would be entertaining to millions of people. What do you think? I think it should be like this, 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 this. Okay. What do you think? I kind of dig it. I think you can make some tweaks, make it even cooler. What are your tweaks? Those sound really cool. Okay, we should work together. That's all I think it comes down to. You know, it's, 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 if it's not a fit, it's not a fit. It's like anything else. It's like friends. It's like dating. It's like a marriage. It's, if you're constantly doing this, maybe it's not a fit. Maybe it's not a fit. Maybe there's a, better way of getting your work seen, heard, done. You know, Tyler Perry was homeless, trying to figure it out. Couldn't get anything cooking. Started turning the scripts into plays. Now he's sitting on top of an empire. He's worth hundreds of millions of dollars, doing whatever he wants to do. I'm sure somebody told him, well, this is dumb. 
Tyler Perry, you shouldn't do that. Maybe they were right. Maybe it would have happened quicker. Maybe they were wrong. It happened the way it was supposed to. You know what I mean? So I just think it's a, I just think it's a matter of perspective. I just think the most important thing is for you as a writer to know who you are as a writer. Like you have to know who you are, what you do, because they don't. You know what I mean? Like they may have ideas about what they think it could be. And if that links up with what you are, awesome. But you gotta know. Like, you got to know where you want to go, what you want to do, how you want to do it, the kind of thing you, you dig, the kind of thing you don't, what you're good at, what you're not good at. Because otherwise you get stuck in this battle and you got an uh, agent or a manager or executive or producer trying to get you to do something that's not what you want to do and it's no good. So not just the writer's voice, but what they want to do with their career, what kind of projects they know they're going yeah. to be I, I think, yeah, I think a writer should understand their identity as a writer. Doesn't mean you can't branch out and do other things. You know what I mean? It doesn't mean you can't branch out and, and like attack different genres and stuff. But I think, you know, you should have a very clear understanding of who you are as a writer, just like you should have a very clear understanding of who you are as a person, you know? Like, you know, people are different and they have different attributes and they have different value systems and that's who they are. Yeah. You know, for better or for worse, that's who they are. But they know who they are when they know who they are. I think a writer, it's the same way. This is what I do. You know what I mean? You watch a Shonda Rhimes show, you know what you're getting. And now, even things that she doesn't create, but things that she executive produced, still feel like the things she wrote because she knows what she does as a writer. This is what I do. This is, this is it. Ryan Murphy, who runs the gamut from American Horror Story to Glee. But there's still a thread in there that lets you know that's Ryan Murphy. That's what he does. The late Stephen Bochco. That's what he did. You know what I mean? Like there's there's a there's a identity, there's a through line that comes from this is what I do. Stephen J. Cannell. Yeah. All the great showrunners that people know, you know, maybe they don't know the title showrunner, but you know, these impresarios. And in film, too, Martin Scorsese, who ran the gamut from, you know. Goodfellas to the Age of Innocence. Still a Martin Scorsese movie, you know? He knows, he knows who he is. I think a writer should too. I passionately hate the idea of being with it. <laughs> I think an artist always has to be out of step with his time. <laughs> and if that's right from the internet, it's Orson Welles. <laughs> Which I can totally picture him saying. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think there's value to that. Uh, I also think it's a statement from a man who lived in a very specific era. Uh, it's different.
now than it was. Orson Welles was a total innovator. And he worked in an industry that works very different from the way it works now. And it was a much smaller industry than it was. But again, I think the core of that quote speaks to identity, right? Because he says, I, I disagree with being with it, right? You should be out of step with what's going on or out of step with your time, which I interpret like it's more important to know who you are as an artist than it is to be trying to copy what's happening in the marketplace. You know what I mean? That's my takeaway from that. Um, so yeah, I think there's definitely value to that, but I think there's a little wiggle room in there. Well, not only was he not really with it, but when the Hearst saw Citizen Kane, they weren't happy with it. No. And he was actively, uh, they tried to stop him in many, many ways. Gave him a lot of trouble. <laughs> a lot of trouble for a lot of years. A lot of trouble for not being with it. But again, it comes down to, is the juice worth the squeeze? Which is what I love. I love that saying. I can't remember where I got it from. It's a Ventura saying. Is the it orange, really? I don't know, I'm just kidding with the orange juice. <laughs> <laughs> with the orange juice. <laughs> so, no, it's like, is the juice worth the squeeze? So like, all right, is it worth the effort to do this thing? Whether that be what you perceive the outcome to be, or whether it be your own personal passion, like whatever it is, it's like, if it's not worth this, don't do it. But if it is, absolutely do it. You know, you can, uh, there's a lot of people that are considered ahead of their time. That are wonderful artists that are revered and respected, but died broke, right? Who's the, who's the, I don't know, Van Gogh or whoever? Cut off his Everybody loves the stuff now, but dude died broke. Might have the wrong one. Sorry, internet, I might have the wrong one, I'm not sure. But I think most people would like to be appreciated and profit from what they do while they're still here. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That's not to say you can't be authentic to who you are as an artist. You know what I mean? I think that's absolutely necessary because that's what gives you a voice. And it's your unique voice that I believe people will respond to because they see their own thoughts and feelings in what you are presenting. But, uh, yeah. We were just talking about The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Great yes. film. Which I still have not seen. Oh, you haven't? Oh, no. okay. Then I don't want I like to. I just oh, follow I'm the sorry. stuff. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. No, no, no. It's I don't fun. want to bring it up. I, I, <laughs> I like to follow the stuff. I like to be aware of things, but there's, a lot, there's been a lot of writing going on, so there's a lot of stuff I haven't seen. Okay. A lot. Okay. The last movie I saw in theaters. <laughs> I think the last one I saw, it was definitely last year. I don't want to ruffle anybody's feather. No, no. It was last year. Okay. So I've been, been near, you know, we've been working on a lot of stuff. So I haven't seen a lot of stuff. And I try not to go to movies a lot. Why? 
Um, if I'm actively writing, I try not to watch stuff that much because I don't want to have something download into my brain that it's not me, it's not mine, but I've been watching something else and I thought it was cool and then it comes out and my stuff, I'm like, oh, this is cool. I'm really, I'm just copycatting something that I heard or parroting something that I saw. So when I'm working, especially the way I'm working now, I try to, I try to not watch a lot of stuff. Try to stay away from the, the zeitgeist. Did I say that right? Zeitgeist? Zeitgeist, yeah, I think so. Try to stay away from it so I don't, I don't copycat it. So I haven't, but I do like to keep up with the titles. I like to watch um, the numbers. It's nice to see what's doing, what with the marketplace, how it's moving, um, especially in the independent market, like what's selling, what isn't, what's doing well, what people are responding to. I think that's still an important aspect of, of any career. I think you, I think you gotta watch it. You know, I like to, I get the Hollywood Reporter newsletter in my email every morning. So I go through it and pay attention to stuff. There might be a company in there we're trying to get to. They might be a little blurb about what's going on with them. I confer with my company and start talking about, oh, well, you know, just heard this. What about that? Take that to them. Sounds great. Let's try that aspect. So I think it's good to know what's going on. Um, but no, I haven't, I haven't seen The Last Black Man in San Francisco, but I, I hear it's a wonderful film. Should a screenwriter have different piles for completed screenplays? Yes, absolutely. Like, you should know, like, your stuff that's good for the marketplace. And you should know stuff that you want. If that's the career you want, right? Like, some writers just want to be writers. That's, that's all they want to do. And they just want to sell, sell, sell. And that's totally fine. Other writers have pieces that they want to wait on because they want bigger budgets for them, so they want to build up, you know, their rep reputation or whatever. Other writers want to direct things so that they can, you know, control the vision of it. And so they should hold on to those pieces while they're building up their repertoire, selling other things. John Sayles did that. John Sayles would write huge, big budget films for the studios. They pay him a ton of money, and he'd take some of that money, and he'd make his little movies as a, as a director, you know? So, oh my God, why does his name escape me? Damien Chazelle, same thing. Like, if you look through his IMDb, you'll see, like, all these films that he wrote, and some of them were, like, horror films. Like, the dude that made La La Land wrote horror movies, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's like, yeah, okay, yeah, I got that. Let me do that. Sure, give me the money. That's fantastic. And then over here is what you got. He and, <clears throat> what is his name? I can't believe I can't remember his name. He's such a great director. What, what's uh, one of his titles? He directed Black Panther. Uh, oh, Ryan. 
Coogler or no, no. Um, Ryan Coogler. Oh, okay. Ryan Coogler uh, grew up watching Rocky. Loved it. Had a whole take on how to bring it into the 21st century. He had done Fruitvale Station, I think, and signed with his agency. I believe it was William Morris. I don't know. I'm not sure. But they're like, what do you want to do? And he's like, I want to do Creed. They're like, nah. Sylvester Stallone's done. Don't, he's done with it. Don't do it. You can do something else. So he did something else. And then that made money. And they're like, this is so great. We made all this money. What do you want to do? Creed. But now he made all the money. So they put him in front of Sylvester Stallone. And he got to pitch it to Sylvester Stallone, who was done with the character. But Ryan had so much passion for the story and the character and what Sylvester Stallone had created. He's like, all right, let's do it. Do it your way. And that's how we get Creed. That's how we got La La Land. Damien had done a bunch of stuff. He had gotten a lot of attention in the industry. People were like, what do you want to do? La La Land. Musical? No. No, 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 no. Nobody's going to see a musical. So he went and he made Whiplash. Yes. Loved it. Big hit. Oscar winner. Oh my God, you won an Oscar. It's great. What do you want to do? La La Land. All right. All right. We'll do it now. They gave him $30 million for the movie that wasn't supposed to do anything and became a phenomenon. So, you know. You got to have an idea of what you want to do, what you're passionate about, what you're willing to fight for, and stuff that you, you know, proud of, and let them do what they're going to do with it. But again, you can't have piles unless, broken record, you got more content. So keep creating content. I like the John Sales reference. I really loved Passion Fish. Mm -hmm. Did you see that one? Mm -hmm. Was that considered one of his projects or one? I believe one? so. Okay. I believe so. I mean, he had such a long career at that point. You know what I mean? So I think at a certain point you start to, if, if you do it right, I think the careers start to mesh. Where, you know, you make enough films that, you know, do well on that studio level. You make enough films uh, independently that do well. And then I think at a certain point, you start, they start merging. They start coming together. You know what I mean? And it's like, this is just what you do now. You know? It's yeah. kind of uh, kind of what happened in Woody Allen's career. You know, he was doing this, and then this happened, and then that happened. And then after a while, he was just... It was just, you know, the studio would give him the money, he'd do the movie. So. Which is interesting because I have a Woody Allen quote right here. Oh, oh my God. So, <laughs> and it, it says, if you're not failing every now and again, it's a sign you're not doing anything very innovative. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I agree with that. You could say someone like M. Night Shyamalan, great, made some excellent films. Mm. And unfortunately, when. People didn't like, for whatever reason, his other movies. How it was almost like they forgot about the other work that he had done. Yeah. That was so amazing. 
luckily he's coming out with more things now, but. Short attention span, there long you go. memory. Yeah. Yeah. The only cure for that is material. You know what I mean? It's like you just, Spike Lee, you know? Black Klansman hits, all of a sudden, boom. Oscar, right. profitable. Everybody's talking about Spike Lee again. But, you know, he built that up and built up enough of material fans within the industry. You know, Jordan Peele's like, all right, let's do this thing. Which makes studios a little more comfortable. You know what I mean? So you, you, you do have to be aware of how it works. And Steven Soderbergh as well. Mm -hmm. Kind of like, I think he's always said like one for him and one for mm -hmm. the quote unquote system. Bruce Willis used to have the same, used to have the same. That's how he got, uh, oh man, what was the movie? No, it was, it was Sixth Sense. That's how he oh, did Sixth okay. Sense. Interesting. He wanted to do Sixth Sense. And they were like, we want you to do the kid. And he's like, I do the kid, you let me do the sixth sense. Disney like, all right, but you gotta do the kid. So he did the kid, it's a terrible movie. But, you know. How competitive is being a screenwriter? Is it more or less competitive than trying to be an actor? I think it's just different. It's like a different kind of competition, you know? Um, you're just dealing with a different medium, really. It's probably the same amount of folks, you know, because internet, you know, folks are sending in tapes from all over the country for things. People can send in scripts from all over the country for things, you know, and then you have different tiers of things. You've got like your stars that are auditioning for bigger projects and then you filter your way down and then you have your A-list writers that are competing with original scripts, plus they're also competing for, you know, writing assignments, and, you know, showrunners or pitching shows to networks and trying to get their shows on the air. And then you've got the writers below that are trying to get staffed based on the scripts that they're writing. So, you know, it's just a different medium, but I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't necessarily know if one's more or less competitive, really. Would you ever want to be in the TV writer's room? Like if you knew for one year you could do something and it'd be long hours and you'd have to really just give up your entire social life and yeah. everything, would you want to do it? You know, I mean, I'm out there right now pitching television shows. So, you know, it's, it's the nature of, of the beast. I mean, I'm not so... Uh, <laughs> I'm not so egotistical to believe that anyone will allow me to run a show, even if I create it, you know what I mean? Um, and I think there's a lot of value of being in a writer's room, for sure. So, I mean, is it my first choice of something? Nah, but I think it's probably an inevitability if I keep creating television shows, you know? Somebody can buy something. They don't have to be in there <laughs> right an episode. 
Unless I write all the episodes myself, which would be cool. Because then it'd be like a big, long movie. And that'd be cool. I'd like to do that. Is it easier for you to now, you know, take meetings and things just because you're closer? You mean proximity-wise? Yeah. No, no, it's not the proximity. It's the people you're working with. You know, it's the folks that, the people I'm working with now, they're just at, they're at a higher level in the industry. Um, they have relationships across the board, studios, networks. Um, they know who the executives are. And if they don't, they are friends with other executives that know who the right executives are. So it's a matter of sort of curating my catalog of scripts and looking at where the relationships are and setting things up and getting in rooms or sending scripts or finding other ways through other mediums, different other companies or, or, or music production companies or music supervision companies or, or talent casting to get the material in front of people who can either make a decision or have the ear of the people making the decision. So, I mean, I could have met these folks when I was in Ventura and it would have been the same thing. In fact, I did meet them while I was in Ventura. Um, I just happened to move to Venice because I love Venice. I always wanted to move back there. So, but yeah, it's not a it's not a proximity thing. Again, like I said before, you know, if you're in Montana, it's probably harder. But it's just an hour away. Do you like to write in the the busy coffee shops or whatever no. in Venice? No? no, I mean, there's a lot going on in Venice. It's very busy. It's a lot going on. Venice is so cool. I love it. Um, but no, I've never been a coffee shop writer, person, I don't know. It just seems odd for me. I know a lot of people work in coffee shops and it's like cool to like network. And I know a lot of like writing partners will get together in coffee shops and write. Um, I don't know. I don't want all that stimuli, you know? I just, I wanna be in here, you know? Plus I don't drink coffee, so. Oh. That's the other thing. Oh, that would be a pain. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't really drink coffee. And they don't, okay. they don't have the equivalent of, of uh, you know, for whiskey. If they had the equivalent for whiskey, that I might do. Okay. If there was like, you know, the Starbucks of whiskey, I might go into that and do, because I like, I like to, like to have a glass of whiskey, sometimes a little cigar. Oh, nice. And then, like, they just relax me. It's nice. That's how I like to do it. Not a whole lot of other stuff around. I like to just dive deep in here and make stuff up, just like when I was a kid, and then write it down. <laughs> and then finish once my brain is, like, fried. And then, you know, relax. Once you finish a first draft, what's your process with it? Mine personally. Everybody's gonna hate this. <laughs> uh, I send it to the company I'm working with. First draft, mm -hmm. really? Mm. Yeah. 
I send it to them and they look at it and we talk about it and they give me notes. And because we work so well together, it's like a real symbiotic relationship. They understand not just like the kind of material that I do, they understand where I want to go. Like they understand where I want to be in 10 years and 20 years and 30 years because we've had these conversations and we've worked on so many projects together. Um, in fact, I'm working exclusively with this company now and they just, I mean, when I go into the office, it, we're usually in there for like four or five hours just because we vibe, we're having fun, we're telling stories, we're getting work done, but it's just this really cool I'm so grateful to have found these people. They're amazing. So yeah, I trust them. So I finish a draft and I send it to them and they read it and they're honest with me and we go back and forth and we get it figured out. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's good. But I will say this, I don't, uh, I don't write out of the gate. Right? So it's not like, oh, here's a cool idea. Yeah. And I start writing it. I don't do all the other stuff. I don't do that outline and all that mess. But um, I'll sit on it. I think something I think is cool and I'll sit on it. And I'll just start imagining it like I'm watching it in my head. And. I see abstract scenes. I don't see it like front to back, but I'll see a scene with these characters. I'll see another scene in another area. And when I get enough of those pieces, then I start thinking about, okay, how would this start? Like, how would it open? And then once that comes to me, then I start writing it. So it takes a while before I actually start writing it. You know what I mean? So I'll drink a little whiskey, smoke a cigar, take a, little, take a little time, relax, and then I start writing it. Let's imagine a new screenwriter has their screenplay bought or optioned. So everything's going great, and then they are fired off the project. Is this a good thing? Yes. It's an amazing thing. It's how my writing career started. Because <laughs> you're in the system now. And again, it's a business. Right? So you knew you do something great. They give you a deal, which is awesome. They give you money because that's what comes with the deal. And that's awesome. And then you're in the mix of it and you're learning how they operate by the notes that they give you. And now other people in the industry know that you're working for this studio. So they're going to want to meet with you. Because you're working on this project that was just announced in the trades and now people know what's going on with you. Like you're in the mix. You're in the game now. And then they get to a point where you do the writing and they look at it and they go, this was my personal experience when I sold I Would Die For You to Columbia. They were like, wow, this is coming together. Like we can start seeing this as a movie. So since we start seeing it as a movie, now let's get some real people in here to get it done. So they fired us. It's business. 
It's insurance. You know what I mean? You're talking about millions of dollars. You know what I mean? Most people won't give their best friend $2, right? So you're talking about millions of dollars that are going to be spent on these 100 and some pages. They need to make sure that that money is going to turn into more money. And oftentimes with a new screenwriter, that means firing that screenwriter, bringing on a new one that's already been in the mix. Maybe they've written two or three films that have been greenlit. Maybe the last thing that they wrote was a big hit. Maybe they wrote and directed a big indie thing that blew up at Sundance. It's an insurance policy for the studio. So that the studio feels more comfortable at going forward with the piece. It's not a bad thing. It's never a bad thing. It's a bad thing if you look at it like a bad thing. But really, it's you're in the mix now. You know what I mean? You can take that sale and turn it into all kinds of stuff, especially broken record if you have more material. <laughs> it's so important. That's why I keep saying it. It's super important. You got to have more stuff. You know what I mean? You just that's just it's the nature of the beast. It's the nature of the beast. There are millions and millions of dollars to be made. You got to have more stuff. When you're turning in that first draft and you're giving it to whomever you're working with, is it, would you say you trust somebody who's just more brutally honest with you than somebody who wants to be nice and keep the relationship going, but maybe they dance around things and they're not? I think you want, listen, you don't want somebody that's just gonna like trash you, right? Cause that just kills the confidence. But you also don't want somebody who's gonna like pussyfoot around you, you know, and not really give you the real. So I think it really does come down to developing relationships with people through your writing. I mean, I haven't always had the pleasure to be able to just trust that I can deliver that first draft and we'll be able to rock out. Like I haven't always had that situation, but I have it with these people because we're just so keyed into one another. Like we are, we'll, we'll have meetings and they'll go for like four or five hours. And we have a blast. You know, we all share the same sense of humor. We all share the same basic, you know, belief system. We all have the same basic values. We all see the world essentially the same way. So it is a very unique situation for me because I trust those guys. I can, I can say like, boom, here it is. This is what I'm thinking. What do you guys think? And then they'll come at me and they'll be like, all right, let's do this and this and this and this and this and this. It's like, you know, listen, it's absolutely not normal. It's absolutely not the way it goes. But because I have this relationship with them, if I'm wrong on the first draft, all by myself, I might be wrong on the second, third, fourth, right? all by myself. But because I have this team that I trust, that knows what I want my end result to be, let's give them the first draft. Let's, let's just get on with it. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong, and you know we'll get to the point where it's right. Then we get there a little quicker than me sitting around agonizing over, oh, am I, did I do this right, am I wrong? I don't know. 
I have the luxury of not having to do that. It's nothing I would tell anybody else to do. It's nothing I would recommend for anybody else. Um, I just happen to be very fortunate to have lucked into the right folks for me. One of the running themes of this interview today has been a reference to your shirt, record, <laughs> quote unquote broken record, and that is have more content, yep. always have more, so even when you go into pitch, you have more to show. Yep. What does that entail for you? How much is more for you? How many projects are we talking about? What do you have in your, quote, arsenal? So full arsenal, full arsenal. I did an interv uh, interview. This is an interview. <laughs> I did an inventory six months ago of everything I've written, like everything. And so I sort of did this experiment where I mapped out everything. And I thought, okay, if I, if I, if every one of these things got made, like films, pilots, not counting the length of how long a television show would run, but you know, pilot gets shot, you know, edited, put on the air, uh, picked up, film, shot, put in theaters or on stream or whatever. Like how long would it take if everything, and there, and there were no hiccups. Like you just got it, the money came in, the buyers were there, the distribution was there, just did it. Like each piece without any hiccups, how long would it take to get everything done? I would have to be 116 years old for everything to get done uh, that I've written. This year, there's been a lot more focus on television with the company that I'm working with. So there's only been one feature, one feature script that I wrote this year. But there's been five pilots. One of the pilots, I've written the first two seasons of the show, and the seasons are 10 episode seasons. Uh, another one of the pilots I've written five episodes for. Um, this is TV? Sorry. This is, yeah, just oh. the TV. So uh, five TV pilots complete. Two seasons of completed scripts for one of the pilots complete. Five episodes of another of the TV pilots complete. So for the first one, that's 20 scripts because there are 10 episodes a season. For the first oh, pilot. okay. Mm -hmm. So there's 20 episodes of television plus five more episodes of television plus the three other pilots that I wrote. Um, I'm in the process of writing one now, and I'm working on two other feature scripts that are incomplete. That's summer to summer, summer 18, summer 19. So. 
And then there's just a ton of other ideas that have been like jotted down that are for later. <clears throat> do you keep that in a file? Like, do you have like these idea files? Oh, here, okay. To my phone. Okay. <clears throat> they have a notes thing on your iPhone. So every time something pops up in my head, I pull up the notes. <clears throat> and then I sit there with it. And sometimes, uh, sometimes they're just crappy, so I delete them. Sometimes more stuff comes, so I write that stuff down. And then sometimes they turn into full-on scripts. <laughs> um, but yeah, constant, 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 constant writing. How do you know if you were bored with a story? Or do you just need more time with it? I get bored with stories all the time. So I stop. I... I don't force anything. Like, this seems really cool. Okay, this is cool. Oh, this is kind of dead. That's that's not cool. This is a yeah. Yeah, I start something else. I don't get rid of it. I just put it down and I start writing something else. And inevitably, in writing something else, an idea will formulate that fixes this one. And, you know, I'll like write something or I'll be hanging out with someone or I'll hear somebody say something. I'm like, oh, that would fix that other thing that I stopped writing. So I go back, I start writing online. And then when that's done, I go back to the other thing. And then while I'm working on that, somebody will say something or I'll see something in the news. I'll be like, oh, that would make a good movie. I'll write that down. It's constant, it's just constant, constant creation. Literally, I drive my wife nuts. It's constant creation. And then if it fizzles out, I don't fret about it. I don't worry about it. I don't struggle with it. I don't like, oh, how do I fit? I just put it away. Because there's way more other stuff to be doing and working on, you know? Do you think the mark of a professional is to continually finish things? Sure, probably. I mean, you finish. I, I finish. I finish more than I start, but I am constantly starting. It's not like I have like all these unfinished screenplays. You know what I mean? I, I tend to write fast. Like if it comes to me, it comes to me. And so it goes. When that flow starts to like peter out, I don't try to force it. I just okay, it's petered out, we're done for that. And then I'm on to the next thing. They always get finished, but it's more about, for me, it's more about flow. If it's not flowing, it's no good. Because the thing is, you know, people will say like, oh, you should write this many pages a day, you should write, you know, this one or two scenes a day or whatever it is. But like, you never know where your head's gonna be. You never know where your creativity's gonna be. You never know what your energy's gonna be. So if I'm like not in the best space and I'm just like pushing through the right stuff to like meet this like requirement, I'm just gonna write, you know, crappy pages. I wanna write crappy pages. You know, I wanna have good pages. So if that means that on Tuesday I write two pages, then I, on Tuesday, I write two pages. 
If on Thursday I write 15 pages, then on Thursday I write 15 pages. If on Friday I just want to have a whiskey and write no pages, then I don't write no pages. But I don't beat myself up for anything. You know what I mean? Like, they're all there. They're all constantly, all the characters are constantly like just there living in my head. And so at a certain point, one of them will perk up and be like, hey, you know what would be cool if you did this? Oh, yeah, that is cool. And I'll do that. And then sometimes I'll scrape the whole thing and restart it because I came up with something cooler. Same story, same concept, but like a way better angle into it. So if I've written the first act and I got 30 pages in, something better came along, I can make those 30 pages even better, but I got rid of the 30 pages I have, they go. I write new 30 pages. Have you ever fallen in love with a character? <laughs> like, like fallen in love with a character? Like, like I want to leave my wife for a character? Like, what do you mean? You don't have, no, no, that's, you, could, you could still fall in love with something. Doesn't mean you have to change oh, your life. You can just, I mean, an idea of something, an idea of someone. Most of them. What's the point? Like, if you don't, if you don't love it, what's the point of doing it? You know, I mean, if you're just writing the thing to write the thing because you think you're going to sell this thing, I, mean, I guess there's value in that if you've got a goal and you're set for that. But for me, man, I, the stuff I sell, the stuff I want to sell, I love. The stuff I want to make for myself, I love. The characters in this thing, I love. The characters in the movies, I love. The characters in the TV shows, I love. I mean, I, you know, I come up with this TV show, I wrote two seasons of it. I wrote two seasons, it was 20 scripts. Madly in love with it. Nobody asked me to do that. I just want to stop. Do you like current television? <laughs> um, yeah. But, you know, current means 2019, not necessarily America. I'm a huge, like I'm never getting rid of Netflix because Netflix has a huge selection of Asian television that's current, that I love. Like Singaporean television, Korean television, Thai television, Taiwanese television, Chinese television, Japanese television, like my entire Netflix interface has none of the stuff that everybody's talking about on Netflix. It's got all the Asian stuff, like all of it. They just really, to me, it's really strong emotional stories and characters. Like across the board, whether it's like comedies or romance or action or the really cool stuff is the historical stuff. There's a lot of really cool things that are set in, you know, ancient times in Korea, which is like so cool because like, it's kind of like an education about, you know, what it was like. 
Um, so most of my television watching is watching <laughs> Asian television on Netflix. Most of it. There is a new show that I absolutely adore that is on Cinemax. It's called Jet. It stars Carla Gugino. I think it's created by Sebastian Gutierrez. I think that's his name. I'm not sure. Anyway, he wrote and directed all the episodes and it's brilliant. And she's brilliant. It's so cool. It's like a quiet thriller. She plays a, a master thief. Um, and she's trying to get out of the game, but then she's got this old boss that pulls her back in. It's so good. And she, like the character of Jet that Carlo Gugino has created, so cool, so cool. So Jet is probably my favorite show now that anyone in America would know about. <laughs> <laughs> um, I saw Dead to Me on Netflix, the Christina Applegate show. I like that. Um, they called it a comedy. I don't really think it's a comedy, but it was very good. Uh, I'm kind of missing the boat on a lot of the broadcast network shows, only because I'm so obsessed with all the stuff on Netflix. So I don't really know if things are good or bad to my liking or not. I'm just so stuck in Asia on Netflix that I just don't get to the, to the American stuff. I still haven't seen Big Little Lies. I hear it's awesome. Um, I still haven't seen that. I can't even think of like what's on the regular networks right now. That's like the hot stuff. What's the hot stuff on the the ABC and the NBC and Ooh, the CBS? I don't know. <laughs> I hear there's a Chicago thing happening. Chicago Fire, Chicago PD, Chicago Law, Chicago Sanitation, Chicago. <laughs> like, it's, like, it's like a bunch of shows and they're all the same show, but they're in Chicago. It's in different departments. So I, uh, I, I can't get into that stuff, but... Do you think comedy is the same as it used to be? You think things, no. things are funny? Comedy used to be funny. Like that used to be the definition of comedy. You know what I mean? Like it used to be comedy and you laugh and that's comedy. Now it's more like, hmm, that's funny. <laughs> and that's comedy. That's not comedy. You know what I mean? Like comedy should make you laugh in my opinion. And there's a lot of things that I see that are labeled as comedies, and they're not comedies. They're they're they're. It's not that it's not that they're invalid, you know. It's just they're 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 statements on social mores or or culture or race or gender. Or, and all of that's good and well and fine, but it's not. A comedy, it's not, comedy should make you laugh. There's a Netflix uh, stand-up thing that everyone loves. I've, I've not seen all of it. Um, 
Nanette, Nadette, I think it's called. It's, I think she's an Australian comedian. Um, it's really good, but it didn't make me laugh. You know, it was like a TED talk, really. You know, there's like humorous moments in it, but it wasn't, I didn't find it to be funny. And again, like it, it's not like it's not valuable. It's not like it's not timely or relevant, but for me, I want to laugh at something called a comedy. <laughs> well, I mean, like this is 40. I watched it years later and I was like, oh, I probably, this is probably gonna be like forced things. No, it was hilarious. For was me. it really? The moment it started. Oh, that's awesome. And I was like, how could I have gone this long without seeing it? I totally <laughs> judged it. Right. And then I felt like an idiot for judging it because it was so funny. Right. And it, the characters were so great. Well, see, that might be exactly where I'm at. I might be judging stuff prior to and need to pay a little bit more attention to what's going on. I mean, um, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Super hilarious every single episode. I love that show. That show's amazing. Oh my God, so wrong. Like everything is about <laughs> it. It's like Seinfeld on crack. It's like everything is wrong. They're awful people, but it's funny and it's saying something. Um, what else? And this is more TV, I think. I think, I think there's more leeway in film. That's true. Than there is in television. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I can't really think of that. I, you know who's really funny? Like really funny, like probably like the best comedian out there, in my opinion, right now, is Ali Wong. Hmm. Ali Wong has two stand-up specials okay. on Netflix right now. And um, her film, Always Be My Maybe. She's hilarious. I'll have to check it out. Dirty, dirty, nasty, but really, really funny. Were you a big sitcom kid back in the day? I loved them. Loved them. Always thought a sitcom would be like the perfect place to live as an actor. Did a lot of pilots, did a lot of sitcom pilots, didn't get picked up. Yeah, sitcoms are fun, man. Especially when they're funny. Yeah. They're not always funny. No, no. <laughs> so, I mean, like, for, to me, Taxi. Best sitcom just, ever. Just amazing. Like, you just couldn't. Best sitcom ever. They didn't even have to speak. Hands down. No. Best sitcom in the world. Jim Ignatowski would just come in. I know. And, and just, that was it. Done. Just, just a look. You Done. Is the, the perfect storm of character and story. And I have a friend, we always have this argument. Taxi versus Cheers. Oh, that's a good one. And I always tell them, you got no Cheers without Taxi. Similar, they're coming into sort of a working class environment. There's a cast of characters, so sort of the alpha. Same makers. Okay. Taxi came first. Taxi was a hit. ABC cancels Taxi. NBC picks it up for its final season. Cheers ends up on NBC. No cheers without taxi. <gasps> so for me, taxi is the king. Even though cheers ran for like 16,000 years after. 
Taxi. So good. Was so good. Was so, so, so good. Yeah, I love that show. Yeah. I wish I could. I wish that was on the air somewhere. That'd be that'd be great. I know everybody's watching Friends over and over and over again. Um, and The Office. The Office was great, but no, no, that's that's not the same kind of sitcom, you know. It's more of a single camera thing, whereas like, so I, f- I feel like they're different beasts. There's like the single camera comedy, like The Office. And I think that's a different species of comedy than like. Friends or Taxi, like, you know, that three camera audience thing. I know a lot of people don't like the audience laughing because they feel like, oh, I'm being told to laugh at this, whatever. And I get that. Um, I don't know. I think think there's a little nostalgia. It's kind of cool about sitcom, sitcom laughter, sitcom comedy. It's an art to it. For a new screenwriter who's just finished their first screenplay, what do they do with it? Oh, okay. <laughs> um, all right, so you're saying like you write a screenplay, you don't know nothing about nothing, right? You just wrote something. Okay. Um, internet. Internet. This is, this is the, the connectivity of the world is in everybody's palm because it's on the phone. There are contests and websites. There's all kinds of stuff where you can submit a screenplay and get some kind of feedback on it. Like if you're waiting for Universal to show up and grab up your script, you'll be waiting a very long time. However, Get it out there. Find it. Let people say no to you. Like, don't be so precious about it. Just get it out there. Because if you do that and you put it in the hands of different places and different websites like inktip.com, like where you can just like post your script there for producers to look at if they dig your log line you're going to learn stuff and you're going to understand like what's working. If nobody clicks on your script, you got work to do. If people do click on your script, you're going to find out what the deal is from them. You know, especially now it's weird because the whole Writers Guild thing that's going on. So, I mean, I guess you could submit to agents. I don't know if agent can touch anything now. I don't know what it is, but... Um, even before that, the, that whole process is harder because agents are agencies are also companies now. They have bottom line. They gotta have a certain amount of money coming in, and they're dependent on higher level clients that are known on the studio level. Doesn't mean you can't get an agent, but a lot of times, these contests, film festivals have screenwriting contests in them. You know, the Sundance Lab is a place that you can submit your script to. And a lot of agents are judges at that thing. So you send your script to something, the agent might see it and be like, cool. Now you've skipped a bunch of steps. 
which is a lot better than, you know, complaining on Twitter about nobody reading your script. You know, it's, it's work. You gotta get out and do a little work. You know, nothing's just gonna land in your lap. Nobody is gonna land in your lap. Everybody's out there trying to get their stuff done too. You know, doesn't mean you can't work together with people, but show them you're willing to do something. Get it out there, move it around. What about what you said earlier is like, let people say no to you. Yeah. Is that like a skill? Yeah. To, to... <laughs> Are you kidding? Everybody hates no now. I'm, you know, back in the day, no was normal. <laughs> you think no has changed? Do you think no has a different meaning nowadays? No. <laughs> Sorry, that made me laugh. Um, no, I mean, it's, no. No, no is, no is, no is no. I think the difference is, I think back in the day, no wasn't the end of anything. It still isn't the end of anything, but I think people perceive it now as the end of anything because everything's been made so easily accessible. You know what I mean? Like nobody wants to wait for anything. Like no one has any patience. So if they hear no, well, that sucks, that's over, all right, whatever. But it's not, there's, there's a reason behind no that you can benefit from. And all you gotta do is ask, because people are very happy to tell you why they said no. You know what I mean? Like, nobody is like, why did you say no? Huh, very good question. <laughs> no, they're gonna be very happy to tell you exactly why they said no to you. And there's knowledge in there. There's value in it. And if you've never written anything before, people are gonna tell you no. If you've written stuff before, people are gonna tell you no. If you sold things, people are gonna tell you no. If you've won awards, people are gonna tell you no. Again, different brands, you know, different brands, different companies, different personalities, different tastes, all of that. So if you're just getting cooking, let it cook a little bit. Might say yes. Then how far along are you? You put your first script out and you send it to the Sundance Lab or you throw it on ink tip and somebody goes, this is great, we want it now. Cool, it's great. They say yes. But you know, no doesn't prevent yes. No doesn't mean there are no yeses coming. You know what I mean? No doesn't mean anything beyond not right now. Really? I had a friend who had a friend who was an executive at a cable network. And he was constantly pitching her stuff. And they were very good friends. And she was like, Doesn't, doesn't fit, doesn't fit, doesn't fit. Then he got together with a different writing partner and they came up with something together and he pitched that thing to her and she went, ooh, I like that, you guys should come in. 
but he got told no like eight times, like eight different things, you know? So no, no builds relationships. No brings you fans. No gets your name out there. So yeah, no really isn't any different than it used to be. It's just people I think don't understand the positive behind it the way maybe they used to back in the day. Why do people fail in Hollywood? <laughs> Why do people fail? Because um, uh, they're people? Because everybody fails. Is that, yeah, like everybody, like everybody fails. All, all over the world in every profession and industry ever, everybody fails. Unless you mean like, why do people fail? Like, why do people not end up with a career that they want? Or just failure, failure? Career that they want. Uh, any variety of reasons. Um, timing. Sometimes you're ahead of your time. Sometimes you're behind your time. Uh, type, sometimes what the industry is looking for, you don't fit. Like, hypothetical scenario. Right now, we are seeing a massive push for more inclusion of transgender people, people of different races, creeds, colors, you know, gender, all of that, that did not exist five, 10, 15, 20 years ago. So let's say you were one of those people that had been on the outskirts of what we now realize was just nonsense to keep excluding people and you were like bucking the system because you wanted it and you kept getting doors slammed in your face. And now you're at an age where maybe they're not now looking for that age. So the time didn't line up for you, you know, which is wrong, but I still don't believe that that means you still can't have the career that you want. I firmly believe that where your head's at determines where you end up. And it's hard sometimes to keep your head on straight. It's hard to kind of go through everything and still say, that's okay. That's okay. That's okay. Um, but if he can do it, Morgan Freeman got his very first meaningful, you know, career role when he was 50. So the Morgan Freeman career we're all aware of 
didn't happen till after 50. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know what happened. I don't know Morgan Freeman, but possibilities exist. I think you gotta believe in yours. Maybe it's harder to keep believing after a certain amount of rejection or hurt or time. And you know, that's for every person to decide on their own. But if you can push through it, I think what you want, you can get. <laughs>